Amen. If you're visiting with us, we've been journeying through the book of Mark. Mark is going to take us most of this fall. And uh, it's, it's a funny book because, you know, we're on Mark 8 today. So if you have a Bible or a phone, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I feel like we've been in the book of Mark for like seven years because we've covered so much ground. But we're only in chapter 8. But as we noted before, the book of Mark is written to be action-packed. And uh, so each week we're covering a chapter, which is when you look at each chapter, it's a little bit insane because there's just so much stuff in each chapter. But um, that's how it's written, so that's how we're going through it, and it's it's a good thing. But definitely take some time in between these weeks to read it uh, because there's going to be, you know, we're kind of floating over the whole chapter each week, but there's going to be a part of it that might really speak to you and your family or you and your life right now. And go back to that. Hold on to that. You know, Pastor Kevin has the... The challenge on our website, which you can still download and participate in, there will be prizes. So we're expecting some participation with that. But it's a way to engage with the text as well. Because this is God's Word. You know, it's, uh, if even half of, if you can understand, you know, like, even half of, like, the gravity of that, like, God's Word, you know, we want to take that seriously. And when God says something, it speaks differently than when I say something or when you say something or when anybody else says something. And... His ability to speak to us, and um, the Bible set, talks about the Word of God being sharper than any double-edged sword, like it can reach into us in powerful ways. So don't, don't only read the Bible on Sunday morning when we're reading it here, okay? <laughs> Let's read it, as you know, daily. But we are going to read it today. Chapter 8, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in this, and there's a big shift starting to happen. I'd mentioned there were some you know, exchanges that were happening over the last couple of chapters that set up a little bit of a pattern that we're going to kind of see a resolution to today. And then this is also like the big reveal of sorts. You know, you hear a lot of these days, big reveal. <laughs> the big reveal in Mark happens in this chapter. So that's exciting. And it kind of sums up a lot of where we've been leading this whole year. We went through the book of Exodus, we went through Ephesians, and then we went Elijah and Elisha. And we're going to see kind of a culmination of this whole year next, next week. Um, with Jesus standing with those two guys. and So this is pretty deep stuff. People are starting to figure out who Jesus is. You know, there's been a lot of, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, I think I know what you're talking about. I, you know, and th that's good that that's written down because uh, this is common territory for all of us. It's kind of like what Jackson had said earlier, that there's, there's uh, it, you know, you don't always get everything all at once. You know what I mean? You don't just go, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. I understand God and his completeness, and I understand everything he's doing all the time, and that's just, that's great. You know, it's good that I have that. You know, you, re you realize things over time. God does God things, and we go, what was that? Oh, okay. Oh, I see what you're doing there. You know, it's this kind of relationship, unless it's just like a, I understand now. You know, and so it's good to see other people, especially like, you know, greatest, you know, heroes of the Bible um, encountering that same exact experience. And so we're going to see... A couple cool things happened in this chapter today that are going to be really pertinent for us. I'm just going to read chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I send, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get any, enough bread to feed these people? Now it's not like, if you remember a couple chapters ago, they're like, we can't afford this. We can't feed all these people. 
the 5,000 people from two chapters ago. You know, now they're like, well, now we're, now we're literally in the middle of nowhere and we don't have stuff. So it's not like there's even anything we could buy. You know, Jesus says very similarly, well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when they had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And they gave thanks and for them also told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went into the region of Dalma, whatever. And so the, uh, um, <laughs> I thought I had it, and then there was too many syllables, so I gave up. The, uh, so if, you, if you're, this is your first time through the Bible, and you might remember two weeks ago, you're like, didn't we just read that? And the answer is, yeah, there was a very similar story that happened in chapter 6 where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a few fish and loaves. And now he's feeding 4,000 people with a few fish and loaves. And that's kind of strange, isn't it? And like I said, there's this picture that was developing where Jesus is doing things that's revealing himself to be the long-awaited for Jewish Messiah. And he was doing these things in fulfilling of prophecies and in... Uh, sometimes to the surprise of people, but then he also was doing other things. Like he showed up in this Gentile region and there's a guy filled with demons and he drives them out into the pigs and they run off, you know. He wasn't just healing Jewish people. And then he started, like we talked about last week, there was some healings and things with um, in places that a Jewish person probably shouldn't be. And then also he was doing things like healing people beyond just the scope. So what he was revealing is that this Jewish Messiah is the savior of everyone who calls upon his name. You know, we read this last week, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that he has to be both. That's the interesting thing about this, that if somebody claims to be the Savior, but they aren't the Jewish Messiah, they aren't the Savior. But the Jewish Messiah, to be the Savior of Israel, also is the Savior of everyone who calls on his name. It's this interesting thing. And not everybody got all of that, you know, that we're kind of catching on to that. And some of that's being revealed in this. Because the first 5,000 miracle happened in a very Jewish territory. And there's a lot of people, some people like read way into this, like even the number of baskets was 12, which is like, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel. And like the certain word for baskets was Hebrew in a certain way or all this. And then there's, this one is, there's seven, it's in a Gentile region and there's seven baskets, which is another completeness of man thing. And there's like different word for baskets. It's a Greek word or something. And I don't really know a whole lot about all of that. But I do think the picture is there that, the main thing is that Jesus is enough, more than enough, for everyone. <laughs> and we don't need to get like, because what ends up happening is even like something like the subject of Israel, we're praying for Israel today, people can be like, well, I'm not Jewish. Suddenly I feel less than in this thing. But when you have these pictures here, he's like, there's no less than. There's, when everybody's eaten everything they need, there's baskets of leftovers. So there's plenty to go around. <laughs> we don't need to worry about being less than. There's no less than. It's like here's plenty for everyone all the time. You know, God, God being infinite doesn't have a certain amount of love that he can give. And he's like, well, I've used most of it on these people, so here's a little. You know, it's not like that. You know, that's why that point when he had with the woman last week about the crumbs, she's like, I'll just take a crumb because she knows within that crumb is everything, you know. And he knew that she knew that. And so we don't need to get worried about these kinds of things. Um, but, but also, uh, it does say a little bit about, like, 
Craig Keener, if you've watched any of these videos that we've referenced on our website about this stuff, he talked about the nature of miracles because God does miraculous things. He does it throughout this whole gospel, and he can do it and does do it in our world today. Um, but it's not for the purpose of entertainment. It's like, do that thing again. Remember last time we were with like 5,000 people and you did that thing and it was really cool? You know, can you do that thing again? You know, he probably, you know, wouldn't have if they had had an ability, you know. Craig Keener makes the point, and I think it's right, that God does miraculous things among us, but it's not to entertain us. And it's not like he's a genie. He, he, when God does things, it's usually when we've exhausted all of our resources. Remember the woman that touched Jesus? She tried everything, right? She tried spiritual things. She tried physical things. She would spent all of her money going to doctors. Dingy, you know, and it's not to say that God's like, you know, you got to go to all the doctors in the world and then I'll heal. It doesn't always, I'm not, it's not like a, a machine. It's God. But there's this thing that can happen with people when they go, oh, God heals people? And you're like, yes, yeah, God physically heals people in this world right now. This does happen, you know. Um, and they go, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. And we're like, yeah, but you should go to the doctor. Like, you hurt yourself. It's like, no, 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 God's going to heal me. And it's like, well, but you're not engaging with everything you have to work with. You see what I'm saying? And so we don't want to step into that. That's a, that's a weird ditch that people get stuck in for a long time, and avoiding that would be very helpful. That seeing God, he, he makes a way where there is no way. This is often the kind of place, like when the Israelites are backed up against the sea, and there's an army on one side and death of drowning on the other side. God's like, oh, yeah, I'll just make a way through the... Through, that's what I'll do. And we go, well, that wasn't one of the options I thought we had to pick from, you know. This is the kind of, this is God's territory, God doing God things, you know. So we want to do our things as well and not just throw everything on him. Anyway, verse 11, the Pharisees came to Jesus. This is the next thing. Came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. This is exactly the kind of mindset I was just talking about. They're like, all right, fine, prove it. Show me something. Do a little thing or something, you know. He sighed deeply. (laughs) I'm going to pause on that one. (sighs) He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them and got back in the boat and crossed to the other side. This idea that we can demand of Jesus certain things, you know, perform for me. You see this kind of interaction with Herod later. We don't need to get too far down the road. But this, uh, that's not what God does. And God does know the difference. So, um, but it causes this thing that Jesus could have said, I've been doing that. Like, look around. And that's what he starts to say to the, the disciples. This is, so they're in the boat, and Jesus has been giving plenty of signs. Like, did you not just see all this stuff I've been doing? Like, we can go through the last seven chapters worth of lots of signs, you know. And I think this kind of stuff is in Jesus' mind, because they're in the boat, and he says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. And you're like, of all the things to forget to bring, but, you know, you know, it's like... But that's important. It says this. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Now, just recently, they were in a situation where they needed a whole lot of bread, and they didn't have any, right? And then immediately after that, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. So it's hard to come up with the exact one for one. But when God does something in our lives, in an area, and it's like, oh, wow. And, you, you know, you're so happy about what God does. And then immediately after that, you like, like I just said about like doing everything you can, you know, and then you don't, you know, 
Like, you have a thing. God does provide a miracle, even like financial miracles. Let people Ask around. People have stories like this. Like, I needed this exact amount of money, and I didn't have anything to do, and I prayed, and God did something, and it's like to the dollar the same. That gets your attention, you know. I'll tell a true story. This actually happened in this building. I was working here. No, I don't think I've ever shared this before. Hopefully, it's not too revealing, but this was years ago. I was working here. It's when I had the blue truck. I don't know if y'all remember that, but I had this old blue truck, and I was working out here a lot. And... Uh, I was here by myself one day, and this lady came and knocked on the door, which usually is not a good thing if somebody's coming and knocking. When the lights are all off, and somebody's like, do, 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 like, okay. <laughs> what am I going to have to do is what I was thinking. And this lady was there, and she said, are you the guy with the blue truck? And I said, yes. When you have a truck and you work at a church, you never know what the next... <laughs> I, I am sometimes, that, you know... <laughs> But she said, two weeks ago, I drove by here. This is a true story. I'm not embellishing this at all. I've just never told anybody. She said, I saw you out working, and you had your truck out there, and I was in the traffic that was out on this road, and God said, give that man this money. And it was some number. I can't remember. I don't remember exactly what it was. You know, a couple hundred dollars or something. And she, like, she said, I didn't do it because I felt embarrassed, but if you're that guy here, and, like, hands me this envelope, and I'm like, I don't... I don't do this, like, because <laughs> even that, you're like, what, what does this mean now? Like, what is happening, between, you know, between the two of us? But she's like, no, I'm serious. I, 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 I've, been, I've been like, I can't sleep. This is like, I have to do this. Like, you know, I was like, okay, thank you. And I pray, and we, you know, and it seems sincere, but I really didn't know what to do with it because I was like, I don't know if this is mine. I don't know what to, you know. So this is the part that might be embarrassing. But I called my wife at that moment, and I was like, hey, this really strange thing happened this lady, you know, it's blah, 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 and, this whole thing, and she's like, whoa. And I'm like, what's whoa? And she's like, I just did our bills, and we were short almost exactly that same amount of money. But it was, like, cushioned just a little bit enough that we could, like, take the kids to dinner that night. And I was like, hey, this is a win, you know. So, but it was, it was like, it was something like we needed $315, and she gave us $350. This is the part I'm a little bit, but it, this happened. I'm, I'm not, other than that, that detail, that was exactly what happened. And it was like, okay, God, you got my attention because that's not something I was prepared for, you know. But then next month runs around and you're like, you know, we should have planned, like, you know, we knew we were short last month and now we're, you know, you don't be like, God, I need another, can you have that lady show up again? This is not how you want to live, okay? You follow what I'm saying, you know? And that's where these guys were. That took a long time to get that little piece there. So... <laughs> If that, if that had happened again, and I, and I would be like, well, God, can you do that again? There's a weird dynamic going on there, and you don't want to be there. So the disciples had forgotten bread. I'm sorry that took so long. But they, um, except for one loaf, <laughs> which they had with them in the boat. But then Jesus says this, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Like, they're stuck on the bread. And they forgot the bread again, you know. Just like I would have felt at the end of the next month. I was like, are we exactly $315 short again? Like, we probably should have done something in the last four weeks to address that, you know. But we're always focused on ourselves and what we're doing, and, da, 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 da. and God's like, no, this is not what I'm even talking about. So Jesus, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? Twelve, they said. 
And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did, piece, did you pick, or how many pieces of whatever did you pick up? They answered seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? The, the Pharisees had just been asking for a sign, kind of a put God in a box kind of sign, or God, do what I want you to do right now sort of sign. Like, if you're God, then prove it sort of sign, that kind of thing, right? Meanwhile, Jesus had been doing all sorts of signs. And that was the Pharisees he was talking about. But now he's with his guys, and they're thinking like the Pharisees. They're thinking like, you know, in human terms again. You know, like there's God terms, and then there's human terms. And there's kind of that relationship we start having between the two, but maybe you're not all the way there. Like they know, they know that life with Jesus isn't normal, right? Like they're not going, well, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time in my life. I don't know, you know bread multiplying and pe- you know, feeding lots of people with things and you know, all these guys getting healed. Happens all the time in my life, so I'm not that impressed with what you're doing. That's not how they feel. They're like, obviously, something is going on with Jesus that's different than most people, but maybe I don't fully get it yet. Maybe I know who Jesus is, I believe who Jesus is, and I want to think the way he does, but I still think like a person, like a human like with limited things, like I'm going to run out. I'm not going to have enough. God can't do that. You know, there's a war going on. God can't bring peace because that's not possible. These kinds of thoughts are the human thoughts, right? Not the God thoughts. And we all struggle with this. This isn't me going up here and like, I used to be like that and I'm not anymore. I struggle like this every day. This is the human part, our flesh. This is the part that comes to us. And this is what we need to see from this, because Jesus is like, don't you get it yet? And the answer is kind of implied, kind of, (laughs) or not really, maybe, you know. And it's illustrated in this next, um, in this next story, where Jesus heals a blind man. And Jesus has healed some blind people, remember? Sometimes so, so healed that it's like, Story, story, like when we go through these marks, like story, thing, 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 thing. And then Jesus healed another blind guy. And thing, 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 thing. You know, like, now if you had healed a blind guy, we'd probably talk about it on Sunday morning. You know what I mean? And it'd be right, like, we would want to talk about that. Be like, wow, God, you prayed for a guy out there and he got, like, tell me more about that, right? You know? But almost this sometimes like passing over it. And then Jesus healed another blind guy, right? Well, so now we run into this situation. Look at this. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man. And begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the head and led him outside of the village, just like Jackson mentioned. And when he'd spit in the man's eyes, which again, spit, like that sounds really weird to us, but spit at this time was used medicinally a lot. So less strange, but still, you know. I just want to make sure you know that. Like if, I, if you walked up and spit in my face, I'd probably be like mad. So, uh, <laughs> but this was normally more accepted things. So when he spit in the man's eyes, put his hands on him, praying, this is Jesus now, he says, do you see anything? Interesting answer. He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Which, even as a kid, I was like, how does he know what trees look like? Unless, I mean, I guess it doesn't say he'd been blind the whole time, but like, you know, I can see, but I can't see, see, see. I can sort of see, you know. I almost feel like this guy's probably like, Whoa, like I'm seeing now for the first time in maybe ever or a long time. But it ain't like good yet. I don't want to say anything. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> like I would have felt if he'd be like, Jesus was like, be healed. All right, good. I'd be like, hey, can, we, can, we, can we talk for a second? Like, it's, it's not quite 
It's not quite there. You know, it's like, but Jesus asks him, and it's kind of to show us all, right? Can't, do you see anything? He's like, I see, but kind of, not clear yet. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He saw everything clearly. This is the core of the whole thing that we're talking about this week. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This healing took two times. Two touches. A second touch from Jesus was necessary. The first one started it. He could sort of see. But then there was another time, and then he could fully see. He says, clearly see. We're going to come back to this because this is the thing that explains this whole thing. You're already seeing it. So the whole book of Mark, they've been figuring out, who is this man, this Jesus man? Like, is he who he says he is? Is he doing, you know, but he's, he says, he sounds like he's this guy we're expecting, but he's doing things that sometimes make me not sure, and I don't always know. And they go to this place, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, this is interesting. There's like, this was a big pagan area. You can go there now. Jeff and I went there. And there's still like, you know, remnants of where there used to be a temple where they worshiped not God, but like the God Pan. And there was, it was like all sorts of strange pagan stuff. That's the place where Jesus says, who do people I say I am, right? He's not on the Mount of Olives at this time, you know. He's asking it in the most pagan of pagan places. Not just not interested in Yahweh and the Hebrew God, but actually intentionally interested in something else. So not like atheist. You follow what I mean? They wouldn't have really probably had a grid for that. But even then, this is intentionally worshiping something else. And they go there and Jesus is like, who do the people, who do you say that I am? You know, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Like that's what, like he's like, you know, what are people saying about me right now? He's like, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. Like, we don't know, but he's obviously not a normal guy because normal people don't heal people all the time, right? And then Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? I don't, like, I always want to point it at everybody else. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't have an opinion, but, you know, people say. People are saying. They, uh, so Jesus turns it right to them and says, who do you say that I am? Which is a pretty important question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, these are one of those questions you could ask with the inflection on the different words. You know, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? And, you know, you can keep doing it. And they mean slightly different things. You see what I mean? Who do you say that I am? Just kidding. I'll stop. But uh, <laughs> Jesus answered, or Peter answered him, you're the Messiah. That's the big reveal, like on Instagram, big reveal. This is the big reveal. of. It's been leading up to this. Now it's declared, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He's like, all right, you guys are getting it. I told you to beware of the use of the Pharisees and of Herod, of the religious trying to stop God, or the political trying to stop God. He's like, but you're getting it. You're seeing it. You're seeing it. He's like, don't tell people yet. They're not ready, but you're seeing it. And then he goes in to talk about the Messiah. He's like, since we're on the subject, some details. He then began to teach them 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. This was news. Just want to make sure you understand this, you know. And after three days, rise again. And this beginning part, this is very clear here. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter, who just spoke up for everybody and said, we know who you are. You're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, you're right. I am. And here's what I'm going to do as the Messiah. And he plainly tells them what's going to happen. And Peter's like, no way. Like, that's cra- what you're saying is terrible. That's not it. He takes him aside and rebukes him. But it's like way out of line. You don't rebuke the, the teacher. You don't rebuke the rabbi. You don't do that. And he's out there telling him, you're wrong. The moment like, I know exactly who you are, Messiah, person, son of God, God in the flesh. I know who you are, right? And you're wrong. You follow? I know, I, yes, I know who you are. We get it. And stop doing that because that's not how God should act. What? So Jesus, who was just proud of him, and in the other gospel, it talks about like, you know, that when Peter says like, you're the Messiah, he goes, this has been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. Like you're the, you're, you're the first one to really come out and say it. You know, that's big deal, you know. And then he says this. But then Jesus turned, looked at his disciples, because Peter, Peter's often the one who gets the butt of everything. He's just the one saying what everybody else is thinking, all right? You know? And he rebuked Peter in front of everybody. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's, a, that's not something you want God to say to you. And he said, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Okay? So Peter thought... He knew what the Messiah meant, right? And he found out he didn't really know what he was talking about. And that's a weird experience. When you think you know something, and then you find out you don't, you know? I had this experience happen with the song, Come on Eileen. Are you all familiar with this song? I have a photo. I have a photo. There it is. Y'all, y'all remember this song. This song came out the year I was born, which makes some of you think I'm really old and some of you think I'm really young, and that's really funny to me. But anyway, so this song, you're like, oh, yeah, I was talking with Andrew about it this week. You're like, I love that song. That's such a fun song. Do, 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 do. You know, this whole thing. And you're like, I love that song. And you're like, I promise you, none of you know any of the words to this song, like at all. And if I said, like, come on, sing along with me, and you go, poor old Johnny Ray, a or whatever, and it keeps going. Come on, Eileen, I'm a sentimental everything. You know, and it keeps, it, but like, my kids we were listening to it in the car, and I was like, we were singing along, and I was like, these, these men are singing in English, but I was like, I actually don't know what they're singing, and. But, like, phonetically, my, like, kind of, like, memorize these gibberish, you know, we will not rest, like, this kind of stuff. And so we're like, well, what are the words to this song? And so we pulled it up, and, you know, Apple Music has, like, the sing-along thing. Not a good song, actually, if you read the lyrics. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knew, you know? 
Main point being, this song had been around my whole life. I knew the word. I always loved this song. And then all of a sudden you realize, I don't know what this song's about at all. And when I find out, it's actually, really, that's what this, uh, interesting. So, ye be warned. It's not explicit, but it's close. So, I was, uh, it was an odd experience to have something that familiar suddenly become that unfamiliar, right? And I had to kind of, you know, anyway, take that off now. That's a little too much. So, but the, uh, what I'm talking about is us like Peter, like the disciples, we don't fully understand the song. Like, you don't fully understand what's being said, you know, even if you think you do. Like, I could, I promise you, play that song, I could sing along the whole thing, and I could convince you probably then, but I have no idea what they're saying, you know. And the good thing that comes from this is it's, it's revealing this, uh, it's actually a pretty serious thing because of what Jesus goes into next is, but uh, holding on to it is like not fully understanding what God is doing. It's not the same as saying not understanding what God's doing. And it's, it's just saying that you don't have all of it. It's like I can see, but it's like trees walking around, right? That's, this is it. And it's okay that that's the case, right? It, you don't have to fully see all the... You know, like it's, it's, coming to know Jesus might take people a minute, you know? It takes me a minute might take you a minute. You know, there's going to be things that God does that surprise me. And I go, I just said Messiah. That has a list of things that I think of when I say that. You just said a different list of things. You know, sometimes like my list might actually still be in there, but you're talking about something else that I don't know anything about. You see, like that sounds wrong to me to the point that he's going to rebuke him, which might mean they even had a different list. But there's expectations you know, in the moment we think we can tell God what to do, you're off into something really weird, okay? Like, that's a red flag. Like, I can boss God around. No, you don't get to do that. None of us do. But Jesus isn't like, this is a serious rebuke. And I think he's probably not, like, surprised and maybe not even angry. I don't know. You know, he rebukes him because it's so important that he see and everybody else see what's really going on here. That you're thinking, it says here, with human concerns, not God's concerns. And that's a very easy place for us all to live. And then he goes into this. That kind of finishes this also. Caleb, if you guys want to come up here. He called the crowd around him, or he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants... To save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, do we live in one of those? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. That's the end of this chapter. It's pretty serious. And that chunk, the way of the cross, it says on my Bible, we could have talked about that this whole time. And we wouldn't find it. In a way, we have been talking about this the whole time. Taking up our cross is, uh, we don't need to get into the cross too much because we're going to be going through it for so long in the latter chapters. And we understand what it means Jesus sacrificed, but to say take up your cross is 
is an interesting way to put something like that. But what he's saying is your life. You know, like, you have a life. You know, when you're taking up a cross, that means you're going to die. Like, now. We're going right now to die. That's what he's, you know. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, that's where I'm going. And that's where all of us are going with him. Meaning, there's this weird thing that, if I admit, sneaks around the back of my mind, probably sneaks around the back of your mind, where I think it's Satan, like, like in the garden, saying, did he really say, did he really say, take up your cross? Did he really say that? And there's this weird idea that sneaks around there that, like, perhaps, just perhaps, I could have Jesus and this world, too. Just perhaps, maybe. You know, maybe following Jesus will do things that will also give me this world. I can, you know, maybe, maybe some of this isn't as bad or some of this isn't, maybe I can have two masters. Maybe he's being extreme. Maybe this doesn't matter, like, I think. You can go this way, and you can think this way for a long time, and what he's talking about here is, Craig Keener said it this way, you can't have the kingdom without the cross. What Jesus is going to do as the Messiah of Israel, the savior of the world, the one who's finally coming to set humanity free from hatred of God, hatred of each other, hatred and brokenness and all that stuff, that what he's going to do is he's going to expose that and make ridicule of it. This is what the Bible says, on the cross. And by so doing, breaking it, and by rising again, showing that he has dominion over everything. But he doesn't sidestep it. He walks straight through it. And that requires, for us to follow him, we have to walk through it too. And it means this halfway thing where we can be, I know who you are. And I can see enough to see like trees walking around. But I'm not seeing clearly yet. And we need this second touch from Jesus. And it may be that like, we need it a lot. And that's where I kind of came back to at the very, very end of this. Because he talks about, uh, there's been two things. I'm just going to share this kind of vulnerably. When I would pray, and I would feel like God would say, this is what you need to be focusing on. And I thought it had to do with me, and I think it has to do with the church. I think it has to do with the family, my family. I think it has to do with maybe even Christian people in this world. Because we live in a sinful, adulterous generation or time, whatever it says. Sinful, adulterous and sinful generation, which was then and it's now, right? It's not like news. It's not like, so we have to live in this, but not be ashamed of him. You're like, well, what does that mean? And so here's what I've, these two phrases that came to my mind in prayer. First one is this, word made flesh. I wanted to put this up there. This is not a surprise. Jesus the Word of God was made flesh when He came into the body. And this is Him, you know. But He's inviting us into this life of Word made flesh. 
that like I feel like some of us get stuck with just the word. And I'm not putting like don't metaphorically work with me, okay? So like you get stuck with an idea, okay? I know who Jesus is. I know things about him that help me to see right and wrong, to have compassion for people, but I'm still like where the trees are walking around. And there's a part where it becomes flesh, which means lived out. Like, it's really easy to look like a Christian person in an idea or in a claim or in a word. Things I say can sound very Christianly, but it's very hard to be them, to actually flesh them, to put that word into flesh. And I don't think there's any Christianity that isn't that. There's things that are labeled Christian, but they would be in quotation marks. Or a lowercase c. Like, you know, it's like, that's, you know, acting Christian. Or, you know, it's, it's like you can do that. And people do it all the time. You know, some of us, we're all guilty of it. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what he's inviting us to. That's not what he died for. That's not what he wants. And we need to be people who make his word flesh by living it out. Not just talking. Talk is cheap. But living out what we, practicing what we preach. And then the other thing is this. A phrase that came to me was extreme honesty. And what I don't mean by that is that you share all your private business to everybody all the time. There's actually way too much oversharing of everything these days. So some sense of private privacy would be good, but privacy and secrets aren't the same, whatever. You know. What I mean by extreme honesty is I doubt most of us would be tempted to lie, you know, or lie often. You know, if we are, we need to repent, okay? Let's be clear. But if we're not lying often, meaning like, I am going to knowingly tell you something that's not true, you know. But what I might do is distract or point at something else just because I don't want to go there or something like that. And I think that this time, we're, we need to be faithfully honest about who we are. Not in people's face, not like throwing it at people, not being rude, you know. But in ways that are faithful to our, when we are putting Jesus' word made flesh with honesty. When someone says to me, why are you hopeful? And I can say, because of Jesus, that's why. That's it. And I think this is, what, this is really what I, this is the end of this whole thing, is that we can all do this. And even one little, I feel like there's a chink in the enemy's armor when you talk about like the, the spiritual battle that we're in. When I was a kid, if you walked up to me and said, can I pray for you? We'd be like, get out, like, whatever, weirdo, you know, like, it would be just, like offensive and strange. But now, this is my suggestion, all right? So maybe y'all take it, try it. I don't work in a normal job. I work here where you pray for people, so it's normal. But I'm suggesting that we try this maybe as an experiment. Don't force it on people. You don't have to be rude. But I think because of things in the world and the, the type of... Uh, mindsets that are, you know, available, whatever. The way the world is right now, I think there's a little hole that the, that the enemy left exposed in his army of darkness or whatever. And it's this, that if somebody is struggling with something and they're sharing with you this struggle or you're concerned about them, I think you could say to them something that sounds like this. This is my version of it. You could make it your own. You could say like, you know, I go to church and at church we pray for people. Would you mind if I prayed for you? It's not like saying, like, grabbing them. If we just say, like, hey, you know, at my church, we pray for people. Because, we, you know, and if they ask more, like, what does that mean? They're like, well, we believe God loves everybody, and he would want to bless them. Like, could I just pray for you? 
and then actually do it right then. Like if they go, well, yeah, that'd be fine. And then they go, all right, and then just pray. Don't worry, you don't have to have it. It's not going to sound great. It doesn't matter. But I think people will most often interpret that as, if you say it right the first time as comforting. And then all of a sudden they'll be like, what just happened? They might be like, I can see now, but it's like trees, you know. And you might be like, okay, let's talk more, you know, because we're not going to. And it may not work the first couple times. I don't know. I just have this feeling, and it's been bar- it's been burning in my mind for the last year or so that like I think there's a weakness that in all of this pluralism and all of this your truth, my truth. It's like, well, okay, fine. This is my truth then, you know. But my truth might be true, true. But we don't have to go there right now. But let God deal with that, you know. Can I share my truth with you then? I think, yeah, that's nice. You know, this, this is a thing. So try that. But then the other thing is this: the very, very, very last thing before Justin sings, and we go eat is it's okay that we partially see. Jesus wanted that part of this story, that his encounter with Jesus opened his eyes, but not fully. And he needed a second touch. We need touches from God. And it's okay to need them. And it's okay to need them after you've had one. It's not like, well, I should be, I should be over this. I should be, you know, in fact, I'd be like, well, I guess this is good enough. Or I guess, you know, it's better than I was, so I'll take it. You know, He was honest. He's like, I need, I am stuck seeing something partially. I need God to touch it, to open my eyes, to see it fully. And I want to say that as a church, we want to go for that. For me, for you, for us all together. And when we went to Asbury earlier this year, we were encountering a room filled with people that were having that kind of encounter with God where he was opening their eyes. Some people maybe partially. Some people maybe fully. Some people were already partial and it was coming all the way through. And that's what I want to say. Let's keep going for it because it's not just going to come through convincing or through. It needs to be like, oh, I felt God touch me and I'm different now. And there's something to that. And it's not at a particular place, meaning that if, well, I didn't go to that, so I missed it. It doesn't matter. It's God. He can do it, whatever. And so but we need to have a, a grid for that and an openness for that. So I want to pray, and then I'm going to go ahead and bless the food. And then we can spend some time praying for each other. If you need prayer, we'll have prayer team over there back by the missions wall. And if you have kids, please get them before you get food. But we have plenty of time to hang out. It's actually really nice weather. There are two ant mounds. Don't touch the ant mounds, guys. All right? I saw them yesterday. I didn't have time to deal with them, and they are alive. So no bets to, like, stick your hands in it or anything. All right? There's ones right there. But I'm going to pray that God would open our eyes and we can take as much time as we need to eat and to pray, but let's not rush. Um, So, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to you, that you would give us the first touch, the second touch, and every other touch that we need to see clearly. And, God, I pray for grace on our hearts, and I pray that we would know the words to the songs that you sing, and we would be able to sing along to the songs that you sing. And we'd be able to share those songs to the people in our lives that need to hear those songs. And I pray for your blessing on this church, that we'd be people that pursue your presence. And then people that encounter you, Lord, and that we can tell people about our encounter and share that joy and goodness with other people in our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. And I pray um, for revelation of you as Messiah and King of the universe and the one who brings sight to the blind in Jesus' name. And bless this food and this time that we gather together that you would help us to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.